From years of anxiety to warrior and mentor, Bradley Robinson created the Anxiety Project to help you end your anxiety naturally. Let's mold the new you and let's end anxiety together. Hello and welcome to episode 217 of the Anxiety Project podcast. I am Brad Robinson. Today, I am really excited to share my conversation with Dr. Seth Gillahan. He is a licensed psychologist, so he knows a thing or two. I talked to him about his approach with his clients on how to help them out of depression and anxiety through mindfulness. But also, this is what's interesting. At one point, Dr. Seth suffered from depression. He got into a funk and then that made me curious. I asked him, how did you get out of that funk? And he did. So today is going to be incredibly useful if you are in that funk, if you know somebody who is in that cage of anxiety or depression, please share this episode with them because it could change the trajectory of their life. Now, before we dive into today's conversation, I do want to give you a brief backstory on Dr. Seth Gillahan because, well, he has a great track record, I'd say. He is a licensed psychologist who specializes in mindful cognitive behavioral therapy. He was a full-time faculty member at the University of Pennsylvania and taught in the psychology department at Harvard College. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty good, man. He knows a thing or two, all right. He has been in private practice since 2012. Gillahan completed a doctorate in psychology at the University of Pennsylvania. He is the author of multiple books on mindfulness and CBT and the host of the Think, Act, Be podcast. If you guys are listening on YouTube... The podcast is also available, the Anxiety Project podcast is already is also available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, uh, iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you are listening on those platforms I mentioned and you haven't checked out the YouTube channel, go check out the Anxiety Project on YouTube. I post videos weekly, not just of the podcast, but other powerful videos on NoFap, addiction, anxiety recovery steps, uh, the strategies to live a more meaningful and enriched life. So please go there, subscribe. Also rate and review this podcast on Spotify. It'll greatly help the podcast reach more people who are suffering and battling with anxiety. But without further ado, I think I said that right. Here is Dr. Seth Gillahan. Dr. Seth Gillahan, welcome to the Anxiety Project podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today. There's lots that I want to talk about. I want to talk about your new book, Mindful Cognitive Behavioral Therapy, that's coming out in December, I believe. Yeah, it's uh, eight weeks from the day that we're recording this. Sorry, eight days from today that we're recording this. Yeah. December 6th. For everybody who doesn't know who you are, can you just please provide them with just a brief backstory of your history and uh, and how you came to write this book and what it is that you do? Great. So I'm a clinical psychologist. So I, I treat uh, people who have you know, different conditions, probably mostly anxiety, and then also you know a lot of related conditions, anxiety, sleep issues. I started out as a faculty member in a school of medicine at the University of Pennsylvania. But I really found that the most the most meaningful work I was doing, the most engaging work was working directly with people, not the I mean I I liked doing research in the the sort of moment to moment, you know, writing articles, looking at data. But when I looked back on what I'd done in the first few years of my career, I was like, you know, the real the moments that really stand out are those moments with people. So I started a, a private practice 
uh, gosh, I guess a little over 10 years now. And then since since that time, I've been transitioning to you know, trying to bring effective you know, tools and techniques and skills to more people than you know I can I can treat in a, on a on a you know face to face basis. Um, that that work again I, I still I still do some of that work, uh, but but I've shifted to, to writing more uh, books and uh, you know self help resources like card decks and now this this latest book which really took you know the first probably the first decade or I guess I guess really more like first 20 years of my you know, training and experience and then combined it with my own issues that I'd encountered around my health that really kind of led to this new integration of mindfulness and cognitive behavioral therapy that I think we'll talk about a lot today. Yeah, that's what resonated with me in the book was um, you, you hear history with the, yet you've encountered some health concerns and then depression. And I thought that was very fascinating because at one point in the book you said your friends recommended you antidepressants and but you knew cbt was what you needed um so first of all before we talk about how your depression came about for those who don't know or who are unfamiliar with cbt can you just describe what that is and then we'll we can go into more of your history Definitely. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll start with an example because it's easy for me to be kind of abstract and you know very concept focused. But so this uh, this occurred to me as as I was getting ready for this conversation with you. There there has been and, and was this morning a lot of noise in our neighborhood from various construction projects. They've been tearing up the the water pipes in our streets are cutting through you know, blacktop and but then more recently there have been a lot of people working on trees you know trimming uh, taking down trees so an hour or two ago i was uh, outside taking a, a short walk and they were you know just going to town on this tree and it was this huge tree and, and it was really loud and it's you know probably about 50 feet from where i'm sitting right now right behind me out the window and I was my first thought was wow it's going to be you know, it could be an issue for our recording depending on you know how much that's that shows up and so what CBT does the cognitive part is about recognizing the stories that our minds are telling us I'm sure this is stuff that you're you're familiar with and so you know the, the story in my mind was this is going to ruin the recording so what we do in CBT first is we recognize that oh Okay, my mind is telling me a story about something that might happen because thoughts don't usually announce themselves that way. They don't say like, here's a story about what could happen, but it's not necessarily true. It just says like, oh, great, that that's going to you know, mess up your recording. It just seems like a fact. It's like, okay, that's a story. And then we can look at the evidence and see like, is that actually true? Like, how do I know that, you know, when we actually start recording this, that they're even still going to be working, which right now they're not. Or if they are still working, that it's going to be, you know, really disruptive versus just kind of a little hum in the background. And so that's so that's really kind of the, the basics of the cognitive part of CBT is just recognizing stories, questioning their evidence, coming up with more effective alternatives. Like there may or may not be noise and it'll probably be something that that we can deal with. I'm sure you know Brad has a way of of handling background noise because his guests probably aren't usually in studios. The behavioral part is closely related to that, and that's you know helping us to do things that move us toward our goals. You know, move toward like if I'm if I were anxious about uh, like dogs, for example, then rather than you know avoiding those, then the behavioral part of CBT offers a kind of systematic approach for for facing fears like fear of dogs and uh, overcoming that fear. So that's kind of basic, simple examples in a nutshell. Yeah, I, I love the book. And for those listening, you have to get it because the book presents an alternative to your current way of being because you can't help but 
self-analyze yourself when you read the book, right? And that's so great because society's normal is the voice in the head and society's normal becomes stress. People don't understand or people fail to realize that there's actually a different path right next to them that they can like go on that's just way more like your quality of life will increase and it's just recognizing that path and your book helps with that process which you know I love by the way and so how did you see that path when you were in the thick of your health concerns and depression how did that come about and what were the changes well first of all i really appreciate your your kind words about the book that means a lot uh, because I, I did put a lot of myself into this book more so than my previous ones i think what really what, what really happened i mean the, the way that it went down is I was feeling worse and worse over the months and, and in weeks, months, really probably, I don't know, a couple of years or so at that point. And, you know, I'd been kind of, I'd been doing more of the standard CBT approach of, you know, I'm going to keep doing things that I know are, you know, tend to lead to well-being, like staying active and being around people as much as I could be, um, you know, questioning thoughts like, you know, what if I have to you really reduce my hours. Uh, what if our finances start to fall apart? Um, you know, a lot of a lot of those fears, questioning like, well, you know, that's that's fortune telling may or may not actually happen. For me, like I think what happens for a lot of us is the things we fear sometimes do come true. Like I did have to cut back my hours a lot. It's part of what spurred this transition to less clinically focused treatment and more. You know, uh, providing these types of resources for people. Our finances did fall apart. That was something that happened as, as again, as, as fallout from stuff I was going through. And so like a lot of people, I just kind of reached the end of myself. Like I didn't know what to do. I felt lost. I was confused. My mind wasn't working so well. I didn't really see a way forward. And then I realized, and, and this Again, I think I think so many of us come to this point. I realized that the end of myself wasn't the end. That what was ending was my old way of doing things, my old way of relying on certain expectations, or or here's a big one: relying on the assumption that my well-being depended on things working out in a particular way. And it felt like what happened in that moment, I was lying on the couch in the evening you know, before bedtime, just feeling lost. And I realized that it sounds a little weird to, to say it um, in, in this way, but I realized I wasn't alone, that there was a part of me that was deeper than my thoughts. It was deeper than my behavior. And it felt really like what I thought of it as, what I experienced it as, was my spirit. That kind of deeper, in a way for me, a kind of eternal part of ourselves that isn't locked into these judgments of this has to go well, this has to turn out a certain way. It's just like, okay. And it felt like I was not just accepting that things might not go the way that I want them to, but that I wouldn't be alone with that. That there would always be this part of myself that was with me, that saw my struggles, that saw my pain, that I couldn't really, couldn't really adequately describe for, for anyone. And it, it was going, in a profound way, it was going to be okay. Not like, it's all going to work out. Things are going to go the way you want them to. It's like, yeah, things might really fall apart and that will be okay too. And so from there, it really, that was just kind of like, it was a moment of insight and like blew my mind and, and brought me to tears. And then over the coming weeks and months and up until now, just the kind of understanding of that continued to develop and unfold and, and made its way into the book. Wow, that's so good. I, I feel like for me, it was the letting go of the ledge and falling 
into into this presence someone you know some say god falling into this um i would i like to say you you fall into uh this acceptance and presence that you, you wasn't even there because you know you're grabbing on to certainty you're grabbing on to um all of your external crutches and then and then you know you 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 get into this uh, uh, rhythm of of those crutches and then that you, you then proceed into um uh, more of the crutches because of the pain that they're actually causing. They're actually very short-lived, and you actually talk about that in the book. And you also go over this really interesting model, which I, I want you to get into, the think, act, and be model. Um, I really love this. And, and so why is this important for you, not just for your health, but also the health of your clients as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I want to go back to something you said a couple minutes ago about that path that's always there it's kind of in parallel right next to us and that and and you said it's sort of letting go and falling into god we might think of or or you know something like that and that is how it felt to me in that moment it felt like i was connecting to god but in a really in a completely different way that i had ever understood god i grew up in a in a very conservative Christian fundamentalist uh, home. My dad was a minister. And so I had this very particular idea of God as being out there, as being this power that was not completely benevolent, that was often angry. But what I felt was that by connecting to myself in that moment, to that deeper part of myself, I, I was finding I was finding God there. Not that I am God, but that 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 essential awareness within ourselves is connected to the divine and is a piece itself of the divine. So the, the Think Act B model is a simplification of mindful cognitive behavioral therapy. It's fewer words, it's shorter words, and I think it's easier to remember in the moment. I have these, th- these three ways that I can you know, find leverage in this moment to shift my experience. So I can, I can change my thinking. That's the cognitive part of CBT, the think element. I can change what I'm doing. That's the act part, the behavioral component. And then there's simple being, the mindfulness that we've been talking about, the be part. And it, it's, it struck me that, that part of what's most effective in in any of these types of techniques is addressing our whole being not ignoring our minds not ignoring our actions it's not just about you know getting our mindset the right way or doing some mental hack it's not just about like doing more or you're just facing your fears through through sheer behavior alone and it's not i think it's not just about you know doing meditation or doing mindfulness practices all those three things together really involve our whole selves that we're you know we're not just the the mind we're not just a body i i off i also call it or, or think of it as a head hands and heart approach so we're all those things without a heart obviously we'd be in a lot of trouble without a head the, the our hands and our hearts wouldn't work so well so so all those things together i think they just hang together so well and they don't kind of leave any part of ourselves behind. When somebody comes to you, Seth, and they're trying to juggle so much of their life and things have gotten so beyond them that they're having, they're, they're in stress mode continuously, what would you, I know people are complicated, everyone's situation is complicated, but for the average person who's juggling that to-do list, especially this time of year, now that it's the holidays what are some of the tools and strategies you would help them implement or or guide them towards in order for them to reduce that anxiety mm-hmm. well pretty much all of the the techniques that i share start with connecting with ourselves 
So they start with that mindful component. So that can be something you know, really simple, just like taking a breath in and out with awareness. Like, you know, you can do it now, just breathe in and breathe out. And something tends to shift. It's really kind of remarkable that just, just being conscious with ourselves for a moment tends to, to change things for the better. So that's a big part of it. And especially with anxiety, you, you must know this so well, Brad, but your minds are great at going to the future at thinking about all the things that could go wrong. And I do mean all the things like once we open that door to the future, it's kind of unlimited. You know, we, our minds can imagine anything, all, like, all different domains, all different possibilities. But if we just come into the moment, it's so manageable. It's so circumscribed. It's just this. It's just what's happening now. And we're so good at managing what's happening in the present. Even if it sucks, still that we can, we're great problem solvers just as human beings. One thing that I would share for the holidays in particular that I, I've been thinking a lot about is it's kind of a version of a loving kindness meditation. But as we're thinking about like oh, the holidays and the stress and you know, a lot of us are going to be alone on the holidays or, or it's, you know, reminds us of, of loved ones that we're grieving rather than just kind of suffering through that and feeling like a victim. I think it can be helpful to with anything, but, but in this area in particular to, to think about, you know, instead of like, what's, you know, what's going to go wrong or what's going to be you know irritating or, or sad to ask ourselves, who do I want to be through this time? Who, who do I want to be for other people? What quality of presence do I want to bring to myself, to my interactions? And then to offer a, 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 really, I mean, it's a kind of prayer, the loving kindness meditation. You know, typically it's things like, may you be healthy, may you be happy, may you be at ease. We can also make it more specific for this time and say, you know, when, when you're alone, may you feel embraced when you're sad, may you be comforted. When you're with family, may you find joy. You know, all these, all these things that we can send to other people and also to ourselves so that we're kind of back in the driver's seat of our lives, I guess, feeling a bit more agency. Absolutely, yeah. I, when I struggled with anxiety, I was catastrophizing a lot um the things around me like everything got so beyond me uh and and what what i what i mean by that is i was doing a lot of habits that were producing many snakes associated with the one habit so like for instance say um smoking weed for example was one of the things i would do but like smoking would produce five negative outcomes, right? And so just me tackling the root cause, the smoking weed part, I noticed without the weed, all those negative outcomes were non-existent and my life just got 5% better. And I started started to look inwards on what I was doing every day that were producing the negative outcomes. And you have to define that for yourself. Right. It's like, what am I doing every day that I would like to stop, but I just can't seem to stop doing. Um, and 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 that is unbelievably helpful. And what also what resonated for me, Seth, with your book is I didn't even know I was doing this until, you know, like I wasn't cognizant that this was a, a, a CBT strategy, but my relationship with time when I was overcoming anxiety I started to look at time in a different way because I was actually, I had a lot of anxiety around time. You know, I had to, I had to get the, the job now that I saw on Instagram or the relationship I saw on Facebook, or I have to keep moving. I'm almost 25 and I'm almost 30, you know, and like time was played a large role in my anxiety. But then when I started my recovery, I actually 
stopped the Instagram. I stopped running around to those negative friends. I, I, I sat around the home learning about anxiety and slowing my life down. And then when start, things started to slow down, I was like, whoa, I've st I'm starting to feel better. I'm starting to appreciate my days a lot more. I'm starting to see change real growth within within me and that was huge so uh seth can you just talk a little bit more about why people's relationship with time why it's very toxic and how we can change that so that we don't have to rush to like rush off the cliff right where we can slow down and not put that pressure on ourselves mm -hmm. Yeah, I really resonate with so much of, of what you're sharing. And what, what I part of what I love about CBT is that, you know, you, you came to this realization yourself about time. And so many of the, of the techniques and the skills and things are, I mean, they're just so intuitive. They're not things like, oh, wow, I never would have thought of that. You know, they're, they're more things that people have discovered for themselves, you know, throughout you know, the years, you know, things that go back you know, long, like thousands of years. So, so I, I love that, that you, you know, you came to that, that different realization with time. And it's so true about time that it's easy to get into a, a place where you feel like time is the enemy. There's never enough of it. You know, we live in a society where we tend to be judged and judge ourselves for our productivity. And so it's always about doing more, doing and doing the next thing, not this thing. And so what that does is it puts us at odds, not just with, it's not just that it creates stress, but in a, in a really profound way, it cuts us off from what's, what's actually happening in our lives. And it doesn't just make time the enemy, it makes our current experience the enemy. And our current experience, I mean, <laughs> This is going to sound obvious, but our current experience is always our experience. And so if we're rejecting our current experience, we're constantly saying no to life as it is. And not only that, but we're at odds with ourselves because we only exist in the present and in the moment. But if we're always thinking, well, I need to be doing the next thing, or I need to be getting to that place, then me here right now is a problem. I'm at odds with my body. I'm at odds with where my mind actually is. My literal mind that's doing the thinking is happening right now. So mindfulness, I find, is so helpful for you know, coming into that, that kind of infinitely thin slice of time that's not so much about like right now as it is kind of stepping out of time, stepping into that more eternal now. And letting it be as it is and letting ourselves be as we are. You know, see, that's exactly why I wanted you on the show. That was just, it, it, for those listening, you have to rewind that few minutes and play that back. That was, that's exactly right. Um, we make the future into the, an enemy, like, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a battle against you and yourself, right? And and we can we compare and we judge and we lose track of of ourselves we get lost in the ego and that's another thing i want to talk to you about seth is the ego um how would you you know um, can you define ego for those listening and um the things that continue to fuel the ego yeah yeah so in this context i don't mean ego in the sense of like being arrogant or being self-focused but it's that really universal part of ourselves that we see we experience as being a separate self this is me i have to look out for my well-being i have to you know compare myself to others and in some way feel separate from them different from them better than them and it's the part of ourselves that gets you know, incensed when we you know see a, an outrageous post on social media, or that you know craves things, that wants things. It's all about self-preservation and self, 
kind of establishing ourselves as this is me, this is mine, carving out that place for ourselves out of the universe. So I kind of think of it as like a drop of water that, that wants to separate itself from the ocean, like I'm myself. But that's a really insecure place to be, you know, to be that drop that's cut off from the ocean. So then we try to attach all these things to ourselves, like importance and and superiority and certain ideas and ideals and political beliefs. But it's all false. You know, it's all an illusion. It's not really it's not really a part of who we are because we can't own all those things. And it's a poor it's a poor substitute for for true connection. What we end up doing is there's this this subtle shift. We all crave connection. We all want to be a part of the ocean. But but the way the ego goes about it, it's based on attachment, which sounds kind of sounds like connection, like I'm attached, I'm connected. But you know, in these in this kind of way of thinking about things, attachment is the enemy of connection. So rather than being you know, really sharing connection with another person, we try to own that person, or we try to, or, or we we crave some kind of like a, like fusion with them versus really just enjoying a more kind of inherent connection that's just part of our existence. This is where <laughs> I mentioned getting abstract. I feel like this is this is a, a great example of that. So I guess if I can try to think of an example that might make this a bit more more concrete, and feel free to jump in here too if if anything comes to mind. But but I think in our relationships, it's probably most obvious. You know, if I have, I I like to look at uh, in the Lion King when um, Rafiki guides Simba to the pool of water, which resembles the unconscious mind. And Rafiki, who's the shaman, who's guiding him because, you know, Simba looks to the stars and he asks this profound question. Then all of a sudden the shaman shows up, you know, and leads him to the pool of water. He looks into the water, sees his reflection. But then Rafiki's like, you got to look deeper, right? And, you know, until you look deep, until you look past your reflection, you can't see the the underlying meaning um I, there's a quote out there that was so profound you can't reach enlightenment until you get past your damn reflection something <laughs> like that right it's like then he saw like the, his spirit right in the water like his face changed from naive teenage boy lion to like adult sophisticated stern strong lion right and like that's like the spirit like the the thing he could he could become right and the spirit of his father the spirit of society right the potential um so i think that he gets so wrapped up and especially me being on pleasure island for a long time in my 20s you know negative friends smoking weed going to the bar you buying stuff social media it builds on this image and like the image gets so ingrained the identity that it's it gets harder to break that the more you're in that unconsciousness um but it was it wasn't until like i started to break the the norm of my my uh every day like breaking the pattern and it was like I started to look deeper and then deeper. The more you step outside the um, the certainty or the routine or the the pattern that you're in, so I I I think that you can't get into the temple right without getting past the reflection, mm, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow, I love that that example partly because. Lion King is one of my favorite Disney movies of all time. I saw it. I mean, I've seen it at least five times. You know, used to listen to the soundtrack all the time. Now, now our kids like it. But you know, I never, in all the times that I saw it, I never experienced it at that level. So now I have to watch it again. It's a good excuse. But that is, it's that's so true. That looking beyond, looking beyond our habitual way of seeing things, to see. To see something that's true on a deeper level, I think that's what that's what stands out to me with 
with connection and attachment, part of it is, you know, we can get attached to all these ideas about ourselves and ideas about like, oh, I have to have that or I have to be a certain way or I need to buy that thing so I can be a certain type of person. And connection is realizing that you already are exactly who you are and who you need to be. So we can drop all those, all that running around, all that pretense and connect with ourselves on that true level. I think it, we, let's, I think I want to bring it back to the think part of your think act B and the thinking part being the challenging of your, your thoughts. I think that's huge, right? Because we all have these reflexive thoughts that are so, uh, the norm in the mind. Um, how do we start to challenge these thoughts? Do we, it, does it come with acting differently that that helps at the same time? So, or is that a combination of using a different internal voice as well as changing your actions that, that really produce a, a, a different outcome? Yeah, yeah, that's, it is so important. I think it's all three components. So it's the, you know, the, the being component, I think really helps us to, to recognize those thoughts, you know, to, again, maybe take a, take a moment, check in with ourselves, be like, wow, I just, you know, my mood just tanked. Like, what just happened? You know, what went through my mind? Oh, yeah, I just told myself that this person doesn't care about me. All right. That seems like an important thought. Maybe I can check that out. Then we can examine it. You know, like we talked about, look at the evidence. Is there evidence for it? Is there evidence against it? And it's not about BSing ourselves. You know, it's not about just like, oh, tell yourself a happy story. Everyone loves me. Well, that's, that is demonstrably false. But looking at looking at the data, you know, what is what's the what what's actually true about the world? And then I'm glad you mentioned action. It's so important. We can definitely change our beliefs by changing what we do. Like if we think that something is super dangerous, that's a belief. One one way through that is to kind of you know look at it, look at data, talk to people. But another way to do it is just face that thing, assuming it's not you know ridiculously dangerous, and find out, oh, the thing I was afraid of didn't happen or wasn't nearly as bad as I expected it to be. So you, you kind of alluded to something earlier about how our our lives can fall apart fairly quickly when, you know, around time or or you know other types of things that were that are, that are challenges for us. In the same way, I think we can we can rebuild things more quickly than we imagine when we start addressing these different elements, like our our thoughts are supporting our actions, our action, actions are supporting our thoughts, our mindful presence is adding this kind of depth dimension to all of them and changing our relationship to our experience. And things can spiral upward more quickly than we imagine. So I don't want to leave listeners with the impression that, oh, CBT is about changing your thoughts. It's only about changing your thoughts because it's as much about address, addressing action, which then affects mindfulness and affects uh, thinking as well. You, I want to quote something from your book that I found really interesting. You said here, the long-term and short-term payoffs of my actions followed a common pattern of immediate reward, relief, with delayed costs that were less apparent and depression. Um, so what, what were these actions and then that provided you with that relief but then what were the rewards and then um, I guess the outcome, like changing them and how did that improve the quality of your life? Well, you know, things like avoiding certain activities because they felt overwhelming or because I just didn't have the motivation. We might not recognize the reward immediately because it can be fairly subtle, but not doing something that we think is going to be a drag, it's going to be unpleasant. You know, provides the brain with a really strong reward that you know uh, that we're avoiding something that we think is going to be bad. So what that does is it makes that behavior more likely in the future because we got that reward the last time we did it. So now I'm more likely to you know avoid social situations or more likely to you know turn down certain activities. And so what what. Well, what CBT helps us to do first is to accept that, yeah, it's, it, it's going to be uncomfortable at first probably to push through that avoidance. 
And then as we do, we get on the other side of it, which gives us a different type of reward, not a reward based on avoidance, what we call negative reinforcement, being reinforced for, for removing discomfort from our lives, but a positive reinforcement of like, I'm accomplishing things, I'm at least have, have the chance to enjoy a time with people, and those things then make it more likely to do things that give that longer term payoff. But it does, it does take getting through that initial discomfort. And it's just kind of a general rule that, that for so many things, the short-term reward is not in our long-term interest. And the long-term reward takes more effort at first to get to. Wow, that is so good. I, I, um, I, I, when you were talking about it, I was thinking about dopamine and how when we used to live in tribes, I, we got the dopamine kick from hunting and gathering. You know, you kill the big animal, you share it with the community, and that motivates you to go out and do it again. But then we're getting dopamine from all of these artificial stimuli nowadays. Like we, we, we're living in a way different time advertisements and uh, social media and then um, pornography and it's just the list keeps going on of these weird stimuli that 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 target these ancient systems of like oh this is rewarding to you you should probably go and get it again but it's like well it's not really going to help you long term because um, you're just going to wind up back on the computer looking at the shirts and the jeans and the the porn and all of that stuff you're just going to want and it's like is that really going to benefit you is that really strengthening you spiritually mentally it, um so those were big things that opened up my eyes to my anxiety was i was surrounding myself a lot with artificial stimuli that were targeting these ancient systems and i wasn't getting it naturally you know, dopamine can come through any sort of progression and, you know, cleaning up your room, cleaning up the things around you, improving your relationships, going for the with those walks, spending time out in nature, um, going to the gym and seeing those results. Mm. That's such a great point that we that we don't we don't just miss out by avoiding certain activities, but but that that's supported by being able to get that that hit that dopamine hit in other ways that that don't yeah it's so there's a there's a metaphor on the tip of my tongue that's or on the tip of my brain that's like it's like we're we're having the experience of something but without actually having that thing it's kind of like the matrix in a way is what it feels like that I'm getting everything except the real thing. And it's like, oh, I don't care that, you know, my, my brain believes that, you know, this, the steak is real and this wine is real. And so that's, that's enough. But then the long term is, yeah, you're kind of stuck with your two dimensional representations of porn or shopping or all these things that, that designers of, you know, websites are so skilled at putting in front of us to satisfy these cravings but they don't care about our long-term well-being. All they care is about reinforcing that loop. So yeah, yeah, take, stepping back and asking like, what do I actually need? What are my real, what are my, wh what's, the, what's the true drive underlying this and how can I fulfill that? The best and most popular video games are ones where you constantly keep leveling, gathering, upgrading, uh, and that's, dopamine hit after hit at its finest right it's like and then but and then and then you turn off the system and you realize you're 50 pounds overweight and as you suggested then you're driven to go back into it because you're like oh this sucks let me play some more i i do want to get into this your sleep anxiety because um when it, when you talked about it in the book i was like oh my god this was one of my mountains that I had to climb. Um, I had a lot of anxiety and traumas that I didn't confront in my past. And that was part, like fear was keeping me up at night. But I remember when I started to go to work at a new job, I couldn't sleep. 
the uncertainty of the job, my fear of not getting enough sleep. Um, so can you talk to me, how do you, how do you approach this with somebody if they're not sleeping well, if they're having a lot of anxiety, what, how could they structure their night to improve the sleep and what else can you do to tackle this? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, addressing the anxiety in and of itself, I think is, is important. And we've talked about some of the ways to do that in terms of the sleep in particular. Uh, you know, there are, there are a few things we, we want to do that have been shown to be helpful. One is to wind down. So make sure we're providing a buffer between activity and, and bedtime. So we're not just expecting our brains to instantly turn off. So, you know, 30 to 60 minutes before bedtime, do some gentle unwinding activities like, you know, maybe some some stretching, some light yoga, uh, meditation, or you're reading something relaxing. What often happens, what often drives bad sleep is we're chasing it. You know, I think of it kind of like, um, you know, when when two people get separated, and they say, you know, you should, if you're both, if you both keep wandering around, then you might always miss each other. But one person needs to stay put; the other person can try to find them. So. If we're if if we're trying to chase sleep and sleep eventually you know is trying to find us then we might keep missing it but but if we can just trust that sleep sleep will come when it does I don't have to pursue it then that that mental shift can can help us to let go of effort because trying harder to sleep actually makes it less likely that we'll sleep but then related to that coming back to behavior is you know aim to only spend as much time in bed as you're actually able to sleep on average. So if on average you're sleeping six and a half hours a night, then plan to be in bed for six and a half hours. So when you're in bed, you're, you're, you're likely to be sleeping for all or most of that time. And you're not going to be, you're not going to be reinforcing bed as a place to be anxious and, and worried and irritated. So those, those are kind of the biggest, kind of the, the heaviest hitters. We can even, there's, there's a treatment that's helpful called uh, paradoxical intention, where instead of, you don't just let go of trying to sleep, but you try to stay awake. And that can actually make it more likely to fall asleep, paradoxically, because you're, you're no longer uh, adding this unnecessary effort that's just revving you up. That's one of the strategies that helped me through panic attacks. Exactly what you said was like, I hope I have a panic attack today. Yes. It makes such a difference, doesn't it? It's almost like panic doesn't know what to do with that. Like, oh, it just kind of recedes, at least in my experience. Absolutely. And, and, and when I would, I remember going through recovery and noticing my thinking while I was laying in bed, what I would tell myself is, so what or it's like it's like let it go i had strong fears that i was holding on to that were preventing me from sleeping but when i would relax into true acceptance giving up and letting go of the ledge and saying you know what i'm gonna see if i can stay up tonight all night you know it's like if you have a fear of not getting any sleep tonight well why don't you face that fear head on you know so what if i don't get any sleep Let's do it. Let's not get any sleep tonight. Yeah, that that to me is the most important level of this type of approach. Again, like we, we've, we've, we've touched on this a few times, but it's letting go of any particular outcome. Like it's not that, okay, yeah, I will fall asleep eventually, which is probably true, but let's go all the way. All right, maybe I won't. Maybe tonight's going to be terrible and maybe I'm never going to sleep again, right? I mean, that's extremely unlikely, but, but yeah, letting go letting go of anything needing to be a particular way. Seth, I think that's a great place to stop. Um, it was such a great pleasure to have you on the show. I, to finish the podcast, any last words to provide to the audience who is struggling with anxiety, depression, uh, who are holding on to the certainty or uncertainty in the fears, any last words? Yeah, the the well. First, I just say it's it's been such an enjoyable time speaking with you. You have such a nice way about you, and you ask great questions. Really interesting to to talk with you. I would say that, I mean, really to I would say for people to remember, um, 
not to abandon themselves, not to abandon their their experience and themselves in this moment, but to keep as often as they remember to, to come back to themselves, to come back to what's actually happening and to stay really close to their experience. And so much of our anxiety and worry can be managed just through that, you know, simply connecting to ourselves in the moment. Things aren't working for you now, then your strategies are not working. You have to go outside of what's so familiar to you. That's where the answers lie. And it's not going to be an easy experience. You've also talked about that in the book too, facing discomfort and acknowledging it without letting it drive your actions. If it wasn't for rock bottom for me, then I wouldn't have discovered a coach and then anxiety recovery and then new habits and behaviors to implement that could enhance the quality of your existence. And it's that constant stepping out into the unknown that really has helped me, but also the people that I worked with and my role models. Well, Dr. Seth, thank you so much for being here. And um, where can we get the book that's coming out? Uh, when did you say it was being released? So it's coming out December 6th. 2022. Yeah. And uh, it's on Amazon. It's on bookshop.org, which I love because they support independent uh, booksellers uh, and pretty much wherever books are sold. Beautiful. And I recommend everybody listening to get the book because, yes, it definitely opens up your eyes to yourself. And that's crucial. I mean, you kind of forget that, oh, man, I need to relax. I need to come back here. So where was I for the last <laughs> month or year or 15 years, right? Where yeah. was I? Yeah, yeah. Come back. Come back. It only takes a moment. No matter how long you've been away, it only takes a moment to come back. Brad's Powerful Anxiety Recovery Program is now available at unpluganxiety.com. The Anxiety Project Program is downloadable and puts the power of anxiety in your own hands. Visit unpluganxiety.com for more details. Recovery starts now.